as they're heading to their classrooms. I get the privilege of introducing our speaker today. Our speaker is Tom, a Pastor Tom Murphy. Um, I met Tom Murphy probably a, almost 10 years ago, and I met him because he is in charge of the Missionary Church Capital Campaigns, um, and he goes around and he speaks to churches about that, but he's also has been a pastor, he reminds us every time he sees us, probably more years than most of us have been alive. <clears throat> I've never had the guts to ask how many years that is, but I'm sure it's many, many years. And um, he's going to come and he's going to speak with us this morning and get us prepared to worship. So Tom, come on up here. In case you want to know, I was 19 when I started to preach had three churches, killed two of them the first year. So that's a great hope for you folks. Uh, I went to Taylor also, and uh, I began with these three little churches, had a wonderful, wonderful time. They didn't, I had some sitting on the second row, an old man and an old woman. I call them now, old man, old woman, because I'm thinking back what I was then. Now I've called them probably young man, young woman. But anyhow, they were sitting on this second row and they would sit there with a Bible like it came off of the pulpit. The old-fashioned pulpit Bibles are huge. And he said, oh, God. I was preaching. Oh, God. And then they would pray, Lord, help us. <laughs> I was miserable. I thought, man, I was bad, but I didn't think it was that bad. And then old John Gadbury sat over here in the third row. And that was back when they had, they had uh, hearing aids that a wire ran down into a little packet, kind of like my testament stuck it in here, and I get up to preach, and old John would adjust this thing, and it go, and you could hear it all over the whole church, but the only problem was, I never knew whether he was turning it up or down, and I had a sneaking suspicion that when he sat there and with repose on his face, he had shut me off. Now, I thought that was a disease of the old, but I was preaching in Kokomo, Indiana one night, had all these wonderful young people. I was just, we had maybe 40, 50 kids and, and they were getting saved all over the place. It was wonderful what God was doing with them. And, and, and then one night, they, they, they all disappeared except one girl. They, I mean, they all were gone. It was Friday night and Kokomo was playing, the Wildcats was playing Richmond, the southern part of Indiana. That's where they all were. But this one faithful soul sat there. And I thought, how godly. And then I saw her smile when she shouldn't have smiled. Then I saw her beam when she shouldn't have beamed. And I thought, there's something going on here. Now this was back before they had iPhones and stuff like that. But then I saw a wire in her ear. And that little turkey was sitting there listening to the football game. <laughs> and I thought, was my powerful preaching was stirring her soul. Well, hey, we've, we've had a great time. We've been together now. Some of us have been together now longer than you want to be. But I've got good news. This week is the week. This is when we kind of wrap things together. Uh, you know, we got tomorrow night. There's going to be a kind of a dessert for people ready to make their commitment. But Saturday is the big dealie over at Pettisville. I got this invitation. I thought it was impressive. You, did you get that? Did you get the thing in the mail? Oh, I hope you did. And I hope you said, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and your way. I'm going to be there. Now, that's going to be a great night next Saturday. 
and you just don't want to miss it. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to be finalizing the things. At the end of the service, they will be announcing whatever God has laid on your heart to give. And this capital campaign, we've been working on it for, it seems like to me forever, and I can't imagine for you. But the fact of it is, uh, the God of heaven is the only one that can talk to you and speak to you about what, what's to be done. This, in this campaign, nobody tells anybody what to do, just the Holy Spirit. And I, I've got a little secret. I, I don't have the courage of the Holy Spirit. Man, what, what he says to you, I wouldn't dare say. I would be ducking under the table. I mean, really. God says to you all kinds of things because he knows what you are. He knows what you have. He knows what you don't have. He knows what he's going to give you. So when he tells you this is what you give, that's big time stuff. So I tell people, you know, there's two prayers. Lord, how much should I give? And then when God gets done, Lord, how am I going to give that? And that's kind of the way it comes down. Because God's not interested in what you have or what you don't have. God is interested in what he has and what you need to know about him. And there's nothing like, like this kind of thing that we're doing that slices through the slush of a lot of spiritual life. I mean, we rant and rave, how we love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, and on we go. And then we start talking about money, and man, my, my granddad, he, he was really more bald than I am. And he said one time to my dad, the quickest way you can measure a man is with a dollar bill. Well, I've lived long enough to say that my granddad spoke a great deal of wisdom. I've watched people go crazy when they start reading the will. I mean, sit there. Literally, here they are sitting, and here's the family gathered in. The dear one is gone, and now they're going to divide up the estate. And they start, I do, John Doe, being of a sound mind, I do hereby order all of my outstanding bills to be paid, my taxes to be paid and I rescind all previous wills and codicils, and I do hereby divide my estate as follows. Now, I want you to know, people quit breathing at that point. They sit there and their ears pitched, and you can tell who's got a bad ear, because that's not the ear that's headed toward the voice. So they listen. I have watched people nearly faint. I mean, really. The power of money. Well, I got news for you this morning. God doesn't care about your money. I've said earlier in the campaign one night, I think, that God paves the streets of heaven with it. So get your pickaxe and go to heaven for those who are lovers of gold, and we'll put you on the street crew. Think about that. You're just digging the gutter. Because that's where it is in heaven. I mean, the devil has lied to people all, of, all my life and told them that's all they care about it and the Lord's people all they care about a church? No, 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 no. We're the only people that live to give it away. Everything we have, we try to give it away. Jesus, here I am, give it away. Well, this is the week, and um, you're praying, and you've been praying. If you haven't been praying, you better pray, because you want what... Never did a zero mean more and its position on a piece of paper than when it comes to money. A hundred dollars? become a thousand dollars just where you move that zero so you really don't want to miss what god's saying by even a zero do you think about that well if you got your bible let's get it over enough of this foolishness i want to get down to the preaching of the word that's why i'm here
But I want you to open your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Mark. We'll come to that in a minute. We think we're a very generous people. That, that notion pervades America. And we point at our lend lease and our foreign aid. And we talk about all we've done overseas. And we have all these nonprofits and NGOs across the world that give, 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 give. And I get buried, I suspect you do, of all kinds of appeals for money all the time. So we kind of imagine that we're self we're very rich people and we're giving people and we'll point to Bill and Melissa Gates and the Gates Foundation and we'll look over here at somebody like Warren Buffett and he drops in thirty seven billion dollars into the Gates Foundation. And National Public Radio comes on and says, Wow, this this guru of Omaha, that's what they call it, guru of Omaha, the greatest philanthropist in history, the greatest giver in history. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I get weary with the hype of the media. Oh, it's going to be a little snow. And when the media gets done with it, folks, it's going to be the storm of the century. Get your refrigerator loaded. Get into the house. Get off of the highways. And then a trickle, 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 and three flakes fall. Uh, well, so it is with the national public radio. But I want to tell you something. The, the greatest giver among human beings in all history gave little less than two cents. Just about that much two cents I'm going to read you a story it's really going to talk about two mites which is 1.56 tenths of a uh, that's less than two cents but here it is in verse 41 of chapter 12 of Mark Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, put in everything, put in everything, all she had to live on. Well, 39 seconds to read 96 words. But you miss the impact of this if you don't know what's going on. And most people don't. Now let me give you a flyover of what really was going on when this was experienced. It's included also in Luke in chapter 21. Only two places. This is the last week that Jesus is on earth. Palm Sunday has come and it's gone. On Palm Sunday, you remember the crowds cheered, waving palm fronds, Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And while they're cheering, he's weeping because he sees what they can't see. He sees that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed in 70 AD. 
He sees the tragedy that's coming. And he, here they're weeping it up, and here he is sobbing his heart out. That literally is what took place. He goes in, spends Sunday, and he heals the lame and the sick. And then the scripture says in Mark, in his account, at the end of the day, at evening tide, Jesus looked around the temple. And then he left. Well, why in the world would he look around the temple? Come on. When he was a baby, he was hauled in by his mom and dad. He'd been there time and time again. His bar mitzvah, when he was the age of 12, he was in the temple. He spent two or three days there. They, they lost him, and then they found him. Man, he knew the temple backwards and What's he looking around? He'd just been there all day. What's he looking around? Well, he's looking at everything. Next thing happens on Monday. He comes into the temple. And immediately he cleanses the temple the second time. The second time. The first time, you see it over in John chapter 2, this is the second time. He begins his ministry by cleaning house. He ran off the cattle and the sheep and drove out the money changers and took the doves out and said that my father's house is a house of prayer. Now at the end of his ministry, it's all back again. And he comes in on Monday morning, and he runs them all out again. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Well, so unfolds Monday, comes in Tuesday, and he's met at the door of the temple on that Tuesday and begins the most terrible day of his life east of the cross. High, the chief priest, and that means literally either the high priest that was or had been, both of them may well have been, the elders, that meant the ones who really ran the show, and the scribes who could parse the sentences of Scripture, they met him at the gate and said, boy, what authority do you do this? And let me translate that. Who do you think you are? You come in here and you make all this ruckus, you run this stuff out of Who, by what authority do you do that? Well, that's the beginning of the day. Now, why were they so mad? Friends, it wasn't Ray Kroc and McDonald's that came out with the franchise system. Franchise system was perfected by the high priest. He was getting a slice of the action. When they were, people, when they came to worship, they had to use sacred money. They had this thing down cool. You think the crooks are in Washington. Man, they had made the capital in Jerusalem. These birds were making off like bandits. You had to use holy money to drop it in the box. So they had to change the money. And guess, well, the money changers, they took a slice of it for their pockets. And of course, the franchise, the priests get a cut off of the side. And then there's the doves. And who would bring a, a, a lamb from, from Dan or from way up in Samaria or way up in Galilee? No, no, no. They, they came down and they bought the lamb. But the, the lambs were holy lambs. I mean, they had been inspected by the rabbi. There wasn't a bent ear or two of a lamb. But you paid. Marketplace. And guess who got a slice of the action? They could say nothing of the bulls. The doves. 
So when Jesus ran them out, he was touching my money. And I'm in charge, says I, priest. By what authority you do this? I mean, Jesus already had lit the fuse. When you deal with money, you're lighting the fuse for most people. Because there's, there's nothing that torments us. Sex and money are the two things that drive families crazy. And more families struggle over money and how to handle money and what to do with money than you'll ever dare dream. And church boards are no different. You can sit along and talk about worship and you can talk about evangelism. But boy, when you start talking about money, it's as if somebody slammed the brakes on. And you can spend the next hour over how are you going to spend $100. You're talking somebody's been around the block. Uh, you can calculate from 1950 to the present how long I've been preaching and how long I've been pastoring. So I've been in board meetings and I know what I'm talking about. So here's Jesus, rocks their boat, turns it over, and they're out to get it. Now that's the beginning on Tuesday. But that's not where it stops. No sooner had they deal with this thing, then here comes a select group. And the scripture says a select group. Here comes some select Pharisees, and here comes the Herodians. Now you've got to know the selected Pharisees are representing theology, the deep, dark things of God, and the Herodians are representing Rome and the money of Rome. And so they hate each other, but to this morning they come together and they're there to meet Jesus. And we know that you don't pay attention to anybody, uh, Lord. We know that you don't respect people. Tell us. In their oily voices, they said, Do, should, we, um, should we give taxes to Caesar or not? And here is the theologians, and here's the law. He gave me a coin. Whose subscription's on this thing? Caesar. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You've heard that all your life. Swift on the heels of that trap comes the Sadducees. The Sadducees are the rich and the famous. They're the wheelers and dealers. They're the power brokers. They're, they're Wall Street encapsulated in religion. And they come walking. They don't believe in any resurrection. So the irony of it, they come to Jesus with a question about the resurrection. Now this man died, he said. And according to the Levitical law, when a man dies and he has brothers, his brother, he has no children, his brother has to marry his wife and have a child by her. Now this man died, he had no children. His brother married his former wife, a widow now, and he has no children. He dies, and the next one dies, and the next one dies. Seven of them! Now, Lord, we know you do things all right. When they get to heaven, who's going to be the husband? <laughs> Do you see the sly, slithering work? And Jesus said, well, in heaven, there's neither marriage nor given in marriage. Then he talked about the God of heavens, the I am that I am. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He just hung them out to dry. The fire turns up hotter and hotter. Then comes a choice, carefully selected, sharply. He's an attorney of the law. He might have been a member of the Supreme Court. He knew the law. Now, 
Lord, uh, what is the great law? He knew there's 613, and he said, we surely will nail him. And Jesus said to him, well, the first is from the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thy strength. The Shema. You'll love God. And I'll give you the second, in case you really want to know. The second is from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On that hangs the whole law. You would have thought Jesus was being sniped at, shot at. He was, the cannons were blasting away. And the, the bitterness, they were out to kill him. They were out to kill him. They were out to kill him all day long. They hammered at him. They beat at him. They snarled at him. They snapped at him all day long. Evening tide. Jesus goes in where they're putting money in the box. And Mark says he sat down. And Luke says he looked up and he watched. And what we read a moment ago is what he saw. He saw people and how they gave and what they gave and what was involved in their giving. Now, if you understand the dynamics of that whole day, then he sees this widow, poor widow, the scripture says, and Jesus told it like it was. He was not given to hyperbole. A hyperbole is a, is a figure of speech means ex severe exaggeration. Jesus never exaggerated. He always, the one who was precise with every word, said it exactly like it was. He said, this would have cast on something, two lepton, which is less than two cents, and she threw in everything she had. And Jesus knew. She went home, if she had a home, stone broke. She had nothing. Now there's some great truths here that I think are worth us taking a look at, and I want you to look at them with me. The first is that Jesus noticed that she gave, that they gave, that multitudes were dumping in, and rich and the famous were giving, and, and then here was this poor widow. They all were giving. So the fact is he noticed that they gave, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Did you know that the fact of giving was a part of any Jew gave? In Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about uh, the people who gave, they shouldn't let the right hand know what alms they were giving. Be secretive about it. He was talking, but he congratulated people that were giving. A good Jew gave. They just did. It was a part of, of their being a part of the family of God. And the scripture says, you know, you're not supposed to let the right hand know what the left is going. That deals with alms. It doesn't deal with, with how we give People want to be secretive, not because they're giving, because they're not giving. The most, two most popular scriptures in the Bible. Jesus wept. Man, well, you want to quote scripture, anybody gives you a verse of scripture, they'll drag that baby out. That's, that's the Bible, I, I, that's my verse. When we were kids, we used to have to, in, in Sunday school, that was my verse. When you quote scripture, I'd quote Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, I just brief. That was part of it. The second one is not letting your right hand know what the left is doing. 
Well, I've worried about that all of my life, and people know that. Man, they'll quote that baby. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. And the reason is, the right hand's not doing anything. This, we had this treasure in one campaign. I've worked with hundreds of churches, literally, coast to coast. And uh, uh, this guy, uh, the board said to him, uh, Jack, not his name, Jack, I want you to bring the books in. We want to look at the books. Jack said, well, these books are sacred. Uh, nobody sees these but me and God. Well, Jack, we're as responsible for the work of the Lord in this church as you are, and we're people of God, too. We want to look at the books. Oh, you can't see these books. You see these books, and I'll resign. Jack, we don't want you to resign. You're our treasure. But we do want to see the books. Now go get the books and quit fussing with it. Jack says, you touch these books, and I'm through. Man, that's like a hammer. Jack, we don't want you to quit. But go get the books. He came in, slammed them down. I'm through. Now, can you imagine a board meeting like that one? Oh, they all felt like whipped turkeys. I mean, it was bad. They opened the books and went down through, went name by name. And they were not prideful. They came to Jack's name, treasure for over 10 years, and give one red penny. People are secretive not about what they're doing, it's what they're not doing. That's why they're quiet about it. People who tithe, I've never known anybody who, who tithe didn't care if the whole world knew they tithe. It's not a matter of pride, just a matter of principle. I, I tithe, Elsie and I tithe, we've tithe, double tithe, triple tithe, more than that. And I don't say that in a private way, I'm just saying, I, I delight in giving to the Lord. Jesus noticed that people did give. The second thing is that they know how they give. There are some people who do give with a flair. Have you ever seen in a newspaper, was it Toledo? I don't think what the name of it. You know. Anyhow, here's a, about the second page. Here's somebody standing on the end of a big check here. And over here, somebody else holding this great big check. And it may be twenty thousand dollars is be given to who knows what. Have you ever seen anything like that? yo? I know you have. They do that stuff all the time. I, I was listening to a football game recently, and some insurance company was giving either five thousand dollars, and they announced on nationwide TV such and such insurance company is giving five thousand dollars today to honor a senior graduate for thus and thus. And I thought to myself, man, that's the cheapest $5,000 advertisement you ever got. They got nationwide advertisement just like it. Man, that was cheap, but letting you know. Well, Jesus saw how these people give. If you read this again, it says they put in the money. They, if you what translations vary, they tossed it in, they put it in, they placed it in, they dropped it in. But the Greek word is ballo. We get the word ball. B-A-L-L is from a Greek word. Ballo, which means to place, pitch, toss, whoop, throw, whip. I don't, you make it what you want to make it. But they can't imagine how all of them were giving the same way. And so they changed the word around. And here's this 
people who tossed their money in. Here's somebody who put their money in. Here's somebody who did a hook shot, dropped their money in. Amazing how these. I, I knew one guy who worked for, uh, what was it, United Way, and he'd go to church, and when they offering plate, that's when they had offering plates, he would had learned how to fold a dollar bill and bend it in such a way it looked like a 10. He'd bend that sucker around, and so it'd go down the aisle, and it looked like a $10 bill. Jesus saw that they gave. He saw how they gave. But he also saw what they gave. Now, when I say what they gave, I won't tell you a secret. Now, this is, this is a truth that is a truth that's amazing to me. Half of the people in a church congregation who are adults will give nothing. I don't mean that the husband gave and the wife didn't. I'm talking about the units. Half the family units will give nothing. They really do. And probably another third or a little less will give a Big Mac and fries once a week than what they give. Eighty percent of the giving in churches is done by 20% of the people. And I don't want to shatter you, but you're no different than anybody else. If you got your treasure out and he laid it out straight, the 80-20 principle works. I was with a redneck Baptist church up in, in Connecticut. I mean, they really were. I mean, they were Bible thumpers. Man, we forgot. And I told them this at 80-20. And the preacher told me, came back the next night. The preacher said, man, you made me mad. Made me mad. I got the books out. He said, Murph, I want you to know you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Oh, I said, tell me about it. He said, our church, not 80 20, 78.22. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people give. Now, here's what the Greek says multitudes, and the Greek word that's used when they put their money in is the Greek word for brass. <laughs> yes, it is. Multitudes. Give brass. I'll get by. <laughs> they do. Now, if that's all persons got, thank you, Jesus, for brass. But the rich, these are the ones that have these big signs out, and you see the big picture. The, the Melissa Gates and Warren Buffett, 37 billion. That's a chunk of change. 37 billion. That's a lot of money. But we all know about it. The rich. Scripture says here that they gave much. But it goes on to say in another clause about three sentences later that they gave uh, of their abundance. And the King James says of their superfluity. It's a word I don't use. I can hardly pronounce a superfluity. So I got old Webster out and said, baby, what, what does superfluity mean? It means uh, above and beyond what's needed. But I go back to the Greek and I found that the Greek word, now this is going to brace you, fasten your seatbelts. This is a lulu. The Greek word is parisima. Parisima. And the other time that word is used in the New Testament was Jesus fed the 5,000. And after everybody had everything that they wanted to eat, the fish and the loaves, 
He told the disciples to gather up what remains. And so they got 12 baskets full and they gathered up the scraps. Perissima. These rich that look like they're giving so much really were just giving the scraps. There are people who have got so much money that they can drop a chunk in and it looks like, oh, we're overwhelmed. And God knows they're just giving you the trash out of their pockets. Do you think that Warren Buffett, when he kicked in $37 billion, he went home and said, man, what am I going to eat tonight? Not on your life. But this little widow, she went home and Mother, Mother Hubbard's cupboard was bare. Jesus said so. She had nothing. She threw in everything she had. She went home not bent. She went home broke. Now, do you think she went home and starved? I don't know. I wonder about that. I'm going to India a week from tomorrow. Been over there 20 times. And I have seen people. I see Every time I go, I see them live in tar paper shacks, cardboard boxes. They die, lay on the street, and you walk right over them. I mean, they, 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 they do. It's, it's a very many, many, many poor people, very poor people. I, I see that kind of people. And as I, I walk there, I, I, I look at this. They literally live in stairwells. People will sleep in stairwells of people who happen to live in apartments. They'll come in and they'll curl up under the stairs. I wonder where this woman came from. Where did she come from to give her less than two cents? Did she come from a village? Did she live in Jerusalem? Did she live under the stairs somewhere? Was she living in a piece of uh, 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 some old thatch down at the corner of the street? Where did she live? What did she have? Who had died? She knew sorrow. Why would she give her life? Who would walk across town to drop in a cent point five six ten cents? Who would do that? Would you walk from here, downtown Wauseon, to drop in less than two cents? Come on, people. This woman did. I look at that and I say to myself, now something is working in that woman's soul that's wonderful. And here's Jesus at the end of a day where he's been shot at and yelled at and snarled at and stamped on and beaten. And he sees this woman drop in two cents. Because she loved him. Wow. That's the chemistry of giving. It's not how I can get by. It's how much do I love him. You see why I spent so much time telling you what was going on that day? Because what this woman gave was next to nothing. But it was the most powerful gift any human being ever gave this side of the cross. And the amazing thing, that last week, last week before he went to Calvary, Jesus dealt with this twice. He dealt with the widow who had 1.56 cents. And the rich young ruler who had huge amounts of wealth. And to both of them, 
he was saying the same thing. Give all that you've got and come and follow me. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospel shall save it. So we have here this widow on Tuesday, and less than a week before, the rich one who walked away because he wouldn't sell all that he had, give it to the poor, and come and follow Jesus. And this widow threw it all in. When you give it all, it comes out the same. You have nothing. So whether you're rich or whether you're poor, when you give it all, you all end up at the same place. You have nothing, but you have Jesus. And you have him. You have um, all the world. I do wills and estates. I have done that for years. And I give out a little sheet of paper. And Patrick Henry, when he was in his later years, he wrote this, give me liberty or give me death. The, the governor... Burgess, the House of Burgess in, in Virginia during the Revolution, American Revolution. Uh, he, he writes his will out, and in the last line he says, and now I give to uh, my family what, if I had given them nothing and they had, they would be incredibly rich. I give them to the Lord Jesus and encourage them to know Christ as their Savior. For if they have him and they have not one penny, they're incalculably rich, but if they do not have him and they have the whole world, they are, and these are his words, poor indeed. I've got to close. And why I've got to close? Because I want to leave you with a tormenting question is what is God saying about you laying your life on the line in this capital campaign? That's what we're talking about. It's not equal giving, the phrase, it's equal sacrifice. The widow, when you give everything, you're both at the same place. You have nothing, but you have Jesus. Now, you know what I'm talking about. As you pray and you ask the Lord, how much shall I, how much shall my wife and I, what is a real sacrifice? What, what is it going to look like in our family? In one household, in dollars and cents, it'll look radically different than another household. But if you both go to the foot of the cross, it'll look the same. I may have told this. Ida Baker was a little old woman. She's probably in her 80s somewhere and hobbled along with a cane one Sunday morning down in Arkansas in a campaign. Uh, they were sharing their stories, what, what God said to them. This little Ida Baker, she hobbled up to the front, and she was carrying keys. If you remember this, carrying keys. And the pastor came down out of the pulpit with a microphone and said, Ida, what are you coming down with this? She said, well, pastor, I, 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 I was married in this church, and my husband was buried here. My children were all dedicated here. And we're getting ready to build a church. We've got to have a church home. We can't, we can't live in this old thing. It's, it's wrecked and ruined. We've got to have a place. And I've been praying, Lord, what should I give? And how am I going to give it? And, and God said to me, he said, well, now, Ida, you, you've, been, you've been saving money for the, to fix the leaky roof. 
Hey, you got a little money there, you could give me that. And she said, Reverend, I, I want to give the money for the leaky roof. And I, I, I'll figure out some way, put buckets around. But she said, you know, that's not where God stopped. He said, Ida, you, you're, not, you're not going to need this house much longer. Why don't you just give it to me? And she held out the keys. And Pastor, here's my gift for the campaign. People, it's not the amount, it's the cross. It's when you get bedrock serious with Jesus and you mean business with him and you put Calvary in it, you, it costs you something. It's real to you. It has the scent of heaven in it. And that's why that congregation's heart literally stopped. Well, the good news that's beyond the good news is a man came along and they fixed her roof and she lived in that house as long as she was in this world. But it was the kingdom house from then on. It belonged to the church. This woman cast in all she had. I, I am amazed with that. I just am. I'm awed by that story. It, to me, it doesn't. I, the issue is not money. It's the wonder of somebody who just knew that I'm not going to starve. Jesus will take care of me. I don't maybe have a roof over my home, but Jesus has a place for me. The sparrows can't fall, but what? He'll see them. He'll take care of me. He loves me, and I love him, and I don't care who knows it. She, she put in. I wonder how she did that. I can't imagine it was not this sort of thing, but I kind of imagine she took her two little pennies and she walked over and she slipped them in and said, here Jesus, I love you. Well, tomorrow night, Saturday, Sunday, you don't have a roof over your head. I got to think about that. You don't. You just think you do. It's a lovely room. I'm grateful for it. But I got terrible stories to tell you about churches that meet in schools. There comes a time when they say you're not going to meet here anymore, and it can happen overnight. I had one church I knew of in New York. The next Sunday, they had, they had to be in another place. They did have no warning whatever. You're through. You're living here by simply the mercy and grace of a school board and a community. You don't have a home. You do, but Jesus doesn't. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Well, let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we worship you this morning. You are amazing because beyond what that widow gave, you laid your life down on the cross for me. For each one of us here, you died for me, a poor sinner, deep sinner, lost sinner, but this morning a saved sinner because of Jesus. Stir our hearts to pick up our cross now and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.